Network automation and orchestration are top of mind for lots of engineers who are under pressure to deliver more services faster while also monitoring, managing, and supporting existing services and applications. So you can take a DIY approach, you can get Python and Ansible and other tools, or you can look to commercial products to get you underway. On today's sponsored heavy networking, we're going to dive into new features of Cisco's Network Services Orchestrator, or NSO. NSO is a network orchestration platform for large enterprises and service providers. It offers things like multi-vendor automation, configuration management, service creation, and ongoing monitoring upgrades and more. We're going to dive into what's new in NSO 6.0 with our Cisco guests, Omar Sultan. He's Director of Product Management for Orchestration. Victor Lejean, he is Principal Engineer, and Nils Petter Tissel, Product Manager for Orchestration. Uh, folks, welcome to the podcast. And Omar, can you kick us off? Just give us a sense of what you're seeing uh, from customers, what's happening with automation, where are customers going, what are their, their issues and challenges? Sure. So, uh, I mean, our customer base is tier one service providers, large enterprises, uh, public sector, uh, and, and a lot of them have made some significant investments into automation up to this point. So they're they're kind of the, the heavy duty practitioners. And if we look at what they're running into, it's, you know, a lot of it is just scale, right? I mean, probably the number one issue, and I think Victor will touch on this a, a little bit more as we get into uh, where we're going with the product is, you know, they have more devices, they have more services, they have more complex services, and just handling that scale and performance is probably, you know, one of the bigger drivers. And, and you'll see that in, in the changes we're making to NSO. But beyond that, they're still the same kind of process and technology things that customers struggle with in terms of how do they build operational processes, how do they organize, how do they build their own internal operational readiness around, you know, not just NSO, but Python and, and Ansible and, you know, some of the other tools, how do they build, you know, their own internal capabilities so they're not dependent on vendors to, to do this stuff for them. I think one of the interesting points you said there, Omar, was that complexity. One of the things that I'm thinking of is that today the number of devices in the network's gone up, but not the number of like traditional routers or switches. We're still using a lot of the same numbers of equipment, but what's in those devices is a lot more complicated than it was before. So where before it might have been, you know, one gig, now it's 25 gig or 100 gig or 400 gig or 800 gig or even terabits, right? 1.2 terabits is coming into the market. And we're getting a lot more ports on devices that are actually active. You know, once, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, a router would often have 20 or 30 ports, but only 10 of them would be in use. And we're seeing much more of that scale. But I think the real point or the real key for me is complexity is the overlays that we run over the top. It's the MPLS, the MPLS TP or the RSVP or the customer overlays, the tunneling that's going over the top of that. That's much more complicated today than it was 20 years ago, I think. Absolutely. One of the things customers are looking for, they're looking for that easy button, right? As you, you know, you, you hit three or four layers just then, uh, all of which could be automated and they're not wanting to sit there at the swivel chair and, you know, automate these things in parallel, but, uh, you know, have tooling that knits these things together and gives them more holistic views of what's going on. Mm. And I think also we've seen one of the themes that might come out of today's show, if, if I think goes the way I think it does, is this operations, this idea that device upgrades should be automated, selecting code for devices should be automated, configurations should be automated because that's the only way to handle complexity and the scope of services. It's no longer just forwarding packets. These days we're actually forwarding applications or some applications go this way and some go that way. So it's really, the thing about NSO is that it's got to be 
flexible enough to handle whatever the telcos are doing, you know, these large at scale customers are doing today, which is a major problem, but also where they're going tomorrow. I mean, what about 5G and this idea of, you know, slices or NFV that we might need to be able to support functions in the network? Those are all complexities, like future imagined complexities that may or may not come about, but that's operational problems, not deployment problems. Sure. And the interesting thing is, you know, when you're writing, when you're, you're doing automation, you're writing code. So that's another layer of, of operational complexity is it's not just managing the services and the infrastructure, uh, but, you know, you're operating, you're, you know, up, you're updating your automation tools, you're updating the service code that you've written, you're updating adapters and those kinds of things. So, you know, while there's a payoff in, in the big picture, this is just, uh, you know, another thing you need to keep an eye on. And, you know, so this is some of the stuff that we're tackling mm. is, okay, how do we take that operational burden, uh, reduce the operational burden mm. uh, for actually managing the tool set. And that is the heritage of the NSO product. Like you're up at version, I don't know, nine or 10 or something now. So this will be six. Six. six we're just six, doing a major release for 6.0. Right. Now that's, and that's uh, obviously off the, the previous history, the product goes back a long way, like 10 or 15 years. So this isn't a product that's new and fresh to the market. This is an established proven and and you've been iterating over a product that's already out there doing its thing. So, but I think what you're just saying today, which is not, like I remember talking to you about NSO five years ago and talking mm-hmm. about how great it was at configuration and using APIs. And now we're shifting to this operational thing. That seems to me to be a real trend right now. Is that fair? I, I think so. I mean, as I said, it's a mature base in terms of feature functionality. I think, you know, our a lot of our feature velocity stuff is is tailed down because we kind of hit a lot of what customers are looking for. Now it's don't make it work, make it work better or make it work easier. So mm-hmm. I think we're in a different space than, you know, you know, some other companies out there, they're just <laughs> working on trying to make it work. Yeah. Um, versus we're like, okay, make it work faster, make it work simpler, make it uh, more idiot proof. Idiot proof is nice. I think that's an interesting point to, uh, when I think about automation, I think when a lot of people think about automation, it's sort of like for something new that I'm trying to do uh, for, you know, a few small projects, but you're saying that automation can also be applied to sustaining existing services, existing applications that I've already got running. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what this comes from. And we have folks that'll, you know, start automation with a new project, but I think part of what happens when we, we talked a little bit about expanding scope okay, this worked, I want to take that and expand it to other things that I'm doing, whether it's greenfield automation or brownfield automation. Mm. And I think brownfield automation is one of the big challenges that folks are having when they're trying to get their arms around automation is how do I work this into, you know, existing dependencies that I've already got set up and just even existing workflows and work processes. Absolutely. That drives back to the people in process. I mean, you have three network engineers, they probably have three different ways of doing things. (laughs) Mm. And if you need to, and if you're going to automate, part of it is you need a consistent, agreed upon way of uh, of doing something, which always leads to some uh, passionate conversations. Shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> but I think also what we're seeing here in the industry, and we're seeing the tools adapt to this. You mentioned, you know, decomplexifying and how engineers. It's also about automation and orchestration tools becoming focused on people and processes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. So NSO does not handle people in process. I mean, we're not a people in process thing. You have consulting mm. companies for that. We have things like workflow to simplify that. Mm. But, you know, we're still sticking to our knitting. But the conversations we have, and, you know, Victor and Niels Petter can, can jump in here too. A lot of the conversation is around, okay, how do I do this? What's the people in process side? In fact, we developed this whole set of content just purely on adopting automation in your organization because 
a lot of times that's a bigger impediment than the technical issues. Mm. I think a good point there is a big culture shift. And I think there are two different culture shifts. One is sort of the larger thing that a lot of the stuff that's going on in the network today is dictated from the application layer. A lot of the stuff that we do with network automation has to fit into an application-centric world, right? It's sort of mm. networking at the speed of, of applications. Uh, cloud workloads are fast to deploy, and then the developers want the network to be able to follow along at the same speed. And the other part is an internal development where we're turning network engineers more and more into automation developers. Well, the challenge here is that if you turn a network engineer into a developer, they usually wander off into being developers and we're run out of network engineers and those skills are lost. So I think a lot of customers have troubles with asking network engineers to be developers because those skills are hard to gain. They take a long time, like it takes years. You don't actually want your network engineers to be developers in a way. You want them to be aware of programming and of the necessity. But I would like think that most of us would want to be network engineers and have tools that allow us to automate and orchestrate without necessarily having to rip the CLI out and get a code developer and start, spend three months getting to grips with Git, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's unrealistic to expect everybody in networking to be a programmer. I think that that myth has already been punctured. This is a topic I think that comes up a lot in the, in the packet pushers universe is how do you extend the skill set of, of, of network engineers to keep them current? Mm. And I don't think the goal is to make them software developers. I, you know, I think mm. Victor often says, you know, network engineers become bad software developers. And I think that's, <laughs> that's an okay bar is you need to learn enough to be better at your job, not to become a full-time you know, code jockey. Mm. Uh, right. And I think the idea is that what I'm seeing is network engineers need to get more comfortable with working with programmatic interfaces, with things that seem software development-like, but don't require you to actually write an application. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within the NSO, right, we have this, you know, universal CLI, which gives you a common CLI, but then the natural progression is we have Python bindings and people start to get comfortable and say, okay, I'm going to start doing, you know, I'm tired of, you know, this repetitive, these eight steps, you know, I'm going to branch out and learn a little Python and start uh, doing some simple scripts to uh, to automate the same task. Mm -hmm. And I understand NSO also works with Ansible? And it does work with Ansible. And it still works with lots of things. We're very friendly <laughs> that way. <laughs> and I think that's actually something important to, to call out just to make sure it's clearly said. I mentioned it very briefly in the intro, but NSO is a multi-vendor and multi-network OS platform. Yep, it is. So we, we support about 150 or so third-party uh, platforms. We have a dedicated group that just does third-party support, and they do about 200 releases a quarter in terms of enhancements to these, what we call NEDs, which is essentially our our adapter for other devices or operating systems or, or services. Mm. Okay, so if I'm a Cisco shop, but I've also got, you know, some Arista, some Juniper, some other NASAs in there, I can use NSO across all of those platforms. Uh, you can. And the cool thing is when you write services, you just write them once. You don't have to put products or vendor-specific code in your services, in your service code. Mm. You can just say, you know, Turn up this, you know, this interface. Put this IP and this, put this IP address on it, and you know, you you, you do that once at the CLI, or you do that once in your service code, and then at runtime, NSO will figure out. Okay, then I'm talking to a Juniper router or an Arista mm. router and convert it, um, and send the appropriate commands to the device. 
Okay, so NSO sort of takes that burden off me of needing to know the precise syntax of each of these different platforms because it's just sort of abstracting. I need these, you know, essential items and I'll figure out how to configure correctly, you know, per the specific NOS. It, it does. And it also simplifies the coding, right? I mean, you don't have to put a bunch of if-thens in there. But then it also, because it's stateful, it also does the, you don't have to put a bunch of, okay, you know, I set an IP address, do I now have to add code to then say, okay, is this, you know, is the interface up? Is the IP address set properly? Because if it isn't, it'll bounce that yeah. back to you right away. All right, so, so what NSO does here is that it does interface abstractions. You know, you don't need to know if the syntax of NSO or Cisco, you don't need to know the syntax of Juniper, right? We do that abstraction, but we still have different models. There are flags for BDP settings on Cisco mm -hmm. that doesn't exist on Juniper. And the other big trend we're seeing, we've always been fans of Netcov Yang and that standards-based automation. But we're seeing both customers and vendors go much more towards standard models. And that sort of smooths out that model difference. Yeah, yeah. So what you're referring to, I think, there is to NSO uses its own internal model. We've talked a lot about intent and model-based you know, software over the last five, five years or so. NSO uses an internal model. So that means that handling multiple devices is fine because you have an abstraction for all of the things that you need to know about a device and you pull them from it using the, what was it called again? A NED? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. 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 And the NED basically says, I need this data to define a f an interface in my model, or I need this data to populate the BGP table in my model. And so you go and look for it. And that's just a translation for that part. And once it's in the model, it's all there for NSO to just use the same things for everything as time goes by. And that's fairly well established at this point is the way to go it, to go about it. And but what you're also hinting at here is that the standardization of NetConf and Yang is making that a lot easier for you. There's not a lot of variation between vendors over time as devices start to converge on a common set. Because we've seen a lot of innovation, like not innovation, but a lot of change over the last decade as silicon got faster, standards got faster. We saw a lot of new technologies emerge into the WAN and the service provider space, but now we seem to have slowed down. So it's getting easier in some senses. Th that is easier. the theory, at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that, that, I'll just say there's some unevenness in, in support of, of NetConf and Yang across different vendors, but it, it's, it's the right direction. I think it might just take longer to get there than some folks might have predicted. Yeah. Is that adoption of things yeah, like NetConf and Yang sort of going back to that, you know, uh, adjustment in people and process ideas? Uh, yeah, I mean, but this time internally to the vendors, right? I mean, they need to build that expertise and, and it's a shift in thinking. If You know, if you go from CLI first to model first in your software development and 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 some of you know some vendors have been very good at this. They've done done a great job. And others, you know, there's there's, there's opportunity for improvement, as, as as my son's report card says on occasion. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think what we we see that that we've been proposing, pushing for uh, NetConf Young standardized uh, device management for ages in my world, and now it's finally happened. The different device vendors, the device communities, is catching up and, and implementing the standard-based standard interfaces. That being mm. said, of course, everyone has their own interpretation, and that provides a challenge by itself, mm. which needs to be taken care of. Well, and there's also the argument that diversity breeds change. 
if everybody was doing exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, we'd all end up with no change and the, the, the technology stack would become change resistant because nothing would need changing so nobody would change sort of thing. And so I'm sort yeah. of sympathetic to the idea that some diversity is necessary, but if it's not, I wonder, I wonder if NSO is starting to look at performance because we talked about complexity and scale and some of the iterations around that. Are we reaching a point where soft, software is becoming a performance bottleneck? Like it, there's so much going on in NSO. I've often looked at it and, you know, in, when talking to Omar, especially in God, like surely that doesn't perform at scale. So, yeah, we wanted to touch base about our customer base and we are a mature product. And mm. then we also hit the roof of what we can do with our old existing um, legacy code base in the product itself. Uh, but for, for what we're talking about now, what's happening in the product that we release later on this month is, is really about we, we increase the performance of the throughput of the platform. But for the customer point of view, all our customers that you know put all their efforts into the different details we talk about here, both mm-hmm. from development as well as device integration, as well as people and processes, uh, they can reuse it. And and uh, from from NSO, they can what we've seen so far on you know, standard customers uh, three times better performance, and that's extremely important for mm-hmm. for large networks, of course. And then we see that uh, for if you actually dig into a code. Uh, you can get up to nine t- times better performance, which for our existing customers, of course, for new customers, is, is everything. Yeah. Since um, mm-hmm. you want to, to, to push your new services out quickly and your customers should not wait. So we have been spending like 18 months to actually rewrite the core of NSO. Yeah. And so we continue to invest in in, in, in that kind of interesting airline code, code base. So when you say run existing service code 3x faster, what does that mean? I put some commands into NSO to get some kind of output and I get it sooner? Uh, so you you do have your, you have your service application, whatever, like lay free VPN, and then you provision your thousand devices in that kind of service space mm-hmm. and that kind of operation and then runs, uh, in that case, like three times faster, you will actually end up with provisioned your entire uh, device population. Uh, three times faster and then of course yeah and then you can we, we see uh, i think that's the best way to 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 um to to explain it and bear in mind we don't really expect the user to do cli for the day-to-day service provisioning it should all be automated and be invisible mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the network engineers typically love the cli to do troubleshooting and, and testing out new set of services because you have a network-wide cli still using your familiar Uniper uh, Cisco CLI. But then when you go into production, you put, push your service out there. Mm. Um, traditionally, uh, NSO is very NetConf young. Basically, we are native NetConf young, and we are, hence we have also been very focused on, on transactions. So in NSO, we have a network-wide transaction. And to, to achieve the better throughput of performance, we actually looked into this kind of network-wide transaction lock and trying to minimize it. What is really important to get the services out there so we don't unnecessarily keep uh, the system up and running or locked uh, so to keep the consistency. So so we're actually a little more optimistic about what's going on in your network. So can you, you know, put a little substance behind how you're getting these performance increases? Is it sort of like, is there an asterisk there? Like if you run the NSO on the latest 
CPUs, you'll get those performances, or is it something that you did internally with the software? Uh, good point. So this is really internal. So reuse your existing stack, hardware stack or virtual stack, pick and choose your favorite um, deployment, and then you'll see uh, this, uh, the performance improvement using uh, the new version of the, uh, the software. So it's not tied to uh, NSO, it's shipped and sold as, as a software. And then uh, you you select the hardware deployment or or software deployment as as you would like to use, even the bare metal virtual machines or container based. Got it. Okay, so the performance increases are coming because of work on the back end that you've done internally. Yeah, mm. exactly. Uh, I think that's useful because it means you're going to use less resources on the server side for a given performance level. Or conversely, it's going to let you scale more and handle more complexity and more operations and more orchestration. Because one of the big features or one of the big usability features around NSO is that you're not just configuring the network. You're actually, or or automating it, you're actually orchestrating it. So you're actually able to get across technology domains. If you want to manage MPLS or DWDM, or you want to manage, you know, security functionality or even operate in domain-specific controllers. If you want to manage somebody's el- someone else's SDN controller, maybe some sort of, you've got some part of your network which has its own mini SDN type functionality. I can't think of one off the top of my head, this, but there's lots of them, <laughs> you know, like a firewall cluster manager or something like that. You can actually orchestrate, in that sense, NSO can be a manager of managers, which is orchestration, where you go across domains and unify them into one thing. But you can also just be the tool that configures the network. So Getting the performance up means I can do more with the product for the same infrastructure, I guess. I think that you, you capture it very well. And I think you mm. also capture our use case catalog that our customers are implementing. Mm. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I think the problem there is that if you are. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing, right? To me, the, the dream of SDN when we started 15 years ago was that we'd be able to use you know, automate this, the data center network or the, or just, and I, you know, we all imagined that it would be like we could do some configuration of stuff, right? Using software. But really we're now at the situation where that is so default that really the value from software comes not just from automating one operational set, it's actually operating multiple operational domains. And that's, that means you've got to orchestrate it. If you're going to, you know, do a deployment and say, I'm adding a new service to the network, I may actually have to not only configure multi-vendor devices, I may actually um, traverse multiple operational domains, DWDM, IP routing, Mm. I may need to do IPv4, IPv6, I may need to do network address translation, find some gateways, I need to deploy threat detection, threat analysis, maybe I need to create tunnels off to some sort of SaaS service. This This is orchestration, and that is actually where we're headed. We need it to do stuff, not just organize one domain, we need all software to be multi-domain or, or cross-domain, however, whatever syntax you want to use. So performance becomes important when you're in cross-domain because it actually gets, if you don't meet the performance goal, the software fails, like quietly. Customers just go, yeah. oh, we can't do that because it's not fast enough, right? Yeah, I mean, that's so a huge that's, point. I mean, in, in, yeah. in the past, it was, you know, it was an you know, IT person turning up routers or, you know, turning up a branch router and performance meant one thing. Now, Automation is used in line to the your, your customer-facing processes, so it does need to be, uh, you know, fast and reliable. Um, and so, you know, the role and important performance takes on a, a different level. And, and as you said, this, you know, we're now tying together the entire service stack. Hmm. 
you know, from the point of customers that are, you know, website and pushes, you know, the buy button all the way to, you know, some service being deployed or yep. product being turned on or bandwidth being increased. So yep. the, the burden's a lot higher. So, so we're talking about new features in the 6.0 release. We mentioned performance. Are there uh, new things on the usability front? Yeah. So when we look at the NSO users, um, a few things that we've been focusing for 6.0 is also for our developers. We talked, we touched base about network engineers versus developers and the different roles. That being said, developers are a, a big user community of, of NSO. And, and we also talked now about all the different use cases, cross-domain, very flexible. We all know that. That being said, comes with huge complexity to get everything in place. We have young models, we have um, templates, we have Python code or Java code if you do your service development. So what we've actually done for, for uh, this, this release, actually, we invest in, um, in um, uh, development tools in uh, with, uh, Microsoft Visual Code. As, uh, so you actually get a pre-built IDE integrated design environment integration. So you as a developer actually get all, all the fancy buttons that you have on CLI and, and your APIs into IDE, and then also ties it together because yes, it is complex. We're helping, we're trying to make it less complex and, and more obvious to how we need different things together. So, so that's actually one really big thing for us now here. We actually take care a little bit more about our uh, developers and also network engineers that, that are doing uh, uh, this stuff in, in that kind of space. Um, and uh, we started with special code, pretty common tool in, in the developer uh, community. So, so that's, that's uh, what we do. Uh, a big change. We've done a few early trials and uh, seems to be highly appreciated. Can you talk a little bit about what developers are doing with NSO? So all the use cases that we talked about here, both across domain or layer-free VPN, et cetera, they are typically specific in the end of the day for the individual customers. Hence, uh, NSO out of the box don't really do that for you. So you develop a service package or a template to actually model uh, uh, that service. So that's what okay. we, when we talk about development uh, is to actually uh, enable all the services that is fit for your network. And either you do it as a, as a NSO owner or, or you ask someone else to uh, do it for you. Yeah, Got it. it so be simple I'm... stuff like turning up a router or, you know, provisioning a layer three VPN or turning up a radio station, radio base station, it's really kind of whatever services or operational processes a particular customer has. They, they that's when we talk about service code. It's really the the building, the automation, uh, scripting, if you will, to to go make that happen. Got it. Okay. We we separate out two different things. We separate out what we call intent based automation, which is about mapping an intent to the device, right? Translating from I want an L3 VPN to that means I need to set these configurations on these routers, right? Mm -hmm. And the other part is the operation stuff like reboot a router, do some show commands, upgrade the router, right? Which are things that happen as a sequence. The intent is until you delete it forever. How do you mean? Uh, an intent has a life cycle. An intent is a service that you provide to your customers. So which means that for NSO, we give you the full create, update, delete cycle 
where you can modify it later and will do the minimal diff compared to the previous time you created the service. So we maintain the state. We can do things like check if the service is properly deployed in the network, resynchronize it to the network. So we're talking about brownfield early on, right? It's mm-hmm. very hard to keep these network engineers from touching the network. They really like their CLI. So that means that it tends to be a drift over time. You provision a VPN, and then mm. there was some troubleshooting or something. They changed a few parameters. They think they changed it back correctly, right? Mm. But it didn't. So what the service in NSO can do, what the intent-based abstraction does, is it can go back a week later and say, uh, this, we, this service that I provisioned last week, is it still active in the network? Are there any changes? And can you redeploy it to the network? Overwrite whatever that human did. And you can't really do that with device upgrade, right? It's one of my one of my favorite things is when people talk about create, update, delete, and there's a they use an abbreviation called CRUD. And CRUD as a word actually is a substance which is considered unpleasant or disgusting, typically because of its dirtiness. I've always loved that. That because <laughs> I like to talk about operational crud and other people like to call it toil and toil is the same, right? But I think, I think this is key that because one of the things that we're facing in technology is a lack of people. It, this is different to where we were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we actually had like enough people to operate our infrastructures the way they were then. But in the last 10 years, something's changed and there's not enough people and the people we've got don't have the right skills or the skills moving forward. So anything that reduces the operational burden is a business benefit and it's got a real cost attached to it. So I'm all about CRUD. And <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> in, in the right context. In the right context. context. <laughs> <laughs> So I, you know, uh, this is the first time that the term intent-based has entered the chat. So, uh, and you have to put twenty-five <laughs> cents into the buzzword jar for that. But I want to tease, pull out, pull apart that a little bit more. Are you positioning NSO as an intent platform because that has certain things in my mind attached to it, like this, um, you know, sort of continuous lifecycle, continuous validation element? So we never used to talk about CRUD. Oh, sorry, about intent. Mm. Uh, but then our CEO started talking about it on stage and we had to <laughs> call it intent. We used okay. to talk about services, what we call fast map services, our word for it. Mm-hmm. So we might go not quite as far as some platforms. We don't do operational data. We are a provisioning platform. We do orchestrate things into being. We don't monitor them. Okay, uh, but yes, we do continuous management and lifecycle handling of of intents, uh, and we can do basic stuff. We've been talking about mappings, right? But we can handle long running intents. We can do things like, I want to start a virtual machine, or I want to start a container, and then once my containerized network function is up, I want to configure that correctly. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to migrate it, right? These intents that consists of a start phase, sort of a waiting for things to be ready phase, and a configuration phase. So we have that entire scale of complexity from config to starting and managing the lifecycle of virtual so devices. It's not just that I've kicked off a job, it's also that the system can go back and check that yes, this job ran and the service is up and running across these domains as I had intended. Yeah, and you can go back later on and do this redeploy action as we call it. 
run it again and see if there are any changes that need to be made to bring it back into compliance with the intent. Okay. Uh, so sticking with the you know new features in 6.0, um, in, in our show notes here, I see there's also, and this is another buzzword, observability. It used to be monitoring, then visibility. Now we're observability. What are the new observability capabilities that you're bringing to this, uh, this new version? Yeah, and so we talked about the users of NSO as uh, the developers and, and network engineers. Observability, what we're doing in the observability space is actually to helping both those use, uh, two user groups to actually understand what's going on um, in NSO and, and uh, actually adopted the open telemetry uh, standards to, to be able to export uh, the, the, the ticks or, or what's actually going on and to visualize that in, in, uh, in external tools. So that's one thing. Uh, that we then end, uh, added that kind of capability to both the system administrators to understand, okay, I have this huge installation of NSO and now things are going strange. What is it actually that's moving in the wrong direction? But it's also for the service developers that we've been talking about. So, so we talk also about how to optimize your application for, for performance. So we actually use observability to, to help um, as uh, developers to, to understand where are my bottlenecks in my service in my now in my service de de deployment. So uh, it's it's actually open up the black box, I would say. Uh, mm. And so it has a tradition of, of that, but but for our different user groups is all the same. Yeah. And so we kind of tackled when you're talking about uh, developers looking for bottlenecks, I, I'm guessing you're not talking about you know an actual throughput bottleneck, but more of a process bottleneck. Yeah, we uh, we have a fa infamous or famous, uh, depending on 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 your your preferences. Uh, look, <laughs> as an example in 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 CDB in in uh, NSO, and and uh, that could be tricky to find out that uh, your service uh, actually holds that for too long. Uh, that that's a, a common example, so to say. So that's one way for a service developer to actually understand that. Okay, I might need to reshuffle my code. Um, or, or do it totally differently. That is also the same for the system administrator or whoever that, that might see that, that uh, the entire production deployment uh, is going not so well uh, to understand that it's it's stuck in a certain service deployment. Got it, okay. Okay, uh, and going on with our list of, of new features, it's a, we mentioned earlier, this is a multi-vendor platform. You're adding uh, new uh, or additional support for NEDS, the network element driver. Yeah, we are still very proud of our third-party support. Uma mentioned about 150 NEDS, and we typically add one new NED for every month. Um, the NEDS cover device operating systems, so the type of devices is, 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 is much bigger. Mm. But it, we also talked about you know, the young models and NetConf, and we are now seeing RESTConf and GNMI, they all use young and everybody loves love standards. And the beauty of having standards and especially the young based uh, network device management standards is you get full coverage, you get access to all the capabilities in, in, in your management model of the device. And uh, once you compile that into NINSO, you get instant access to, to all the capabilities. Very good story. Unfortunately, the, the, the reality hits us in the head <laughs> in the sense of 
everyone, every device vendor, including <laughs> ourselves, implement these protocols as well as data models slightly different or majorly different. Yeah. Uh -huh. And me as a customer, if I'm a customer, I don't really care. Yeah. I just want it to work. <laughs> uh, so, I, I and, like. And, and, uh, I often think of this, and I'd like to know your take on this. If I'm if I'm somebody who's sort of new to NetConf and Yang and this idea of supporting a wide range of devices from a common software platform, I sometimes liken this to SNMP. Everybody's using the same method to access the data, but the data that is stored in a different way. Now, that's a bit simplistic. NetConf and Yang and GNMI all go far beyond just, you know, a data structure. But that's conceptually what we're talking about here. Yes. And of course, since uh, many of our engineers are key contributors to the different standards, we always uh, assume that we are right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, that might not be the best approach always. So what we're actually doing in 6.0 is to admit that we can have an argument and yeah. let's sort that out, um, especially in the standards. Um, because, uh, yes, of course, standard is good. It's good with also differences because then we see the capabilities in the market evolve. Um, but you also need to quickly be able to, to, to take, reap the benefit of mm. the different implementations. And, and you can bang your head <laughs> forever <laughs> If you have two major elephants in the room, yeah, uh, yeah, Cisco yeah. and pick and choose your favorite elephant, we will never end up in, in, in agreement. So that's really what we're doing in, in, in 6.0 here, that, that we will settle those agreements. And, and we also I don't say that, please select your favorite standard here yeah. in this young world, because they are all great for I different think, purposes, I think maybe. It's a realistic thing too, but it's also a sign that you're willing... You, you realize that for whatever reason, the diversity exists. Now, whether you see, want to take my view and see it as somewhat of a, of a feature where change can happen and new possibilities can emerge, or you can just see it as a pain point. Why don't these vendors agree to use a standard? You know, there's two sides of that coin. But I think at the end of the day, what you're saying is as far as NSO is mature enough and progressing along the path enough that you're not going to dictate to the customer that only this works or that this is the only way to do things. You're willing to flex and adapt to whatever's actually happening in the real world, probably within limits, but practically that's what you're saying. I, I, I agree. And yeah. we also, of course, add, we are, we are um, uh, so nice that we also, um, uh, for free, actually let other devices verify their standard-based implementations in our uh, uh, device in, uh, okay. integration yeah. program. Mm. Um, that again, elephants to elephants might be tricky. So <laughs> we also focus on actually to deliver yeah. uh, what the customer need. So, you know, how do I, uh, as a customer, start to take advantage of these new capabilities? How do I unlock them uh, in my own environment? Well, 6.0 drops uh, at the end of September. It is a significant enough change that we're actually guiding customers to look at 6.1, which will drop next spring for, you know, for actual deployments. Um, the point is get 6.0 when it's available, get in your lab, play with it, get comfortable with it, understand, uh, you know, implications, and then do your plan, do your actual planning around 6.1, which is another six months or so out. Uh, okay. Yeah, because it's, it will be available and, and we also expect we have a, a fairly big user community on DevNet uh, for all, all the different roles that we discussed here. So we expect to, to it be pretty hectic here in the next few months to because when, when, when uh, folks start to 
try out the different capabilities we talked about here. So before we wrap this, uh, w- one thing I want to touch on, uh, Petter, you mentioned this notion of locking. Um, I wonder you know, what that means in the context of NSO and, is it, and you mentioned that it can sometimes lead to, to bottlenecks. Is that something you're, you're looking at or dealing with? That is one of the big things we're doing in NSO 6.0. And as Petter mentioned, network-wide transactions. And that's one of those big principles that we've always embraced in NSO. This idea that we give you guarantees as an automation developer. We guarantee mm-hmm. consistency. We guarantee that all the must expressions in Yang are fulfilled, right? And that means that we get a little bit static. Purity and principles come at a price. We, <laughs> to get those transactions working, you need to sort of lock the system up. Uh, anyone that's worked on distributed databases are familiar with this. Um, the asset properties, right? Atomicity, consistency, isolation, durability. And mm-hmm. to get something that's acidic, you kind of need to look. And that has been for NSO that we've had this bottleneck around the lock. And when we talk about speed, it's hard to do much about the speed of a single transaction or a single change because the devices are usually the slow part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part we do in NSO is relatively quick, and then the devices are slower. If you have a lot of devices, you're almost certain that a few of them are down or unavailable right now. So what we're doing is we're increasing the concurrence in NSO by decreasing the lock so we get more things through at the same time. What we're doing is we're moving from locking to optimistic locking. And you know that sounds happy, and it means that instead of locking, what we do is that we collect all the changes and we check them for conflict before we go to the network. And this allows us to do things in parallel. Our intent is part of this because we're intent-based and because intents are durable. That means that if a transaction should fail, if we should have a conflict, we can just run the intent again because the intent has a consistent meaning over time. And that becomes very, very powerful. And it's, that's why we mm. get this nice throughput improvement. Okay, so you're, th- the idea here is that you're trying to give me that performance boost without uh, degrading the consistency, the integrity of the automation capabilities. Yes, and without making it harder for you to write your code, mm. without adding any lock management or any concurrency yeah. uh, to the programming. It's just something we do internally. Yeah, you you have to keep the model consistent because there's so many places where the model exists. I, I imagine the model is distributed across several functional servers, and where you process your intent then defines to some extent the coherence of the model data, and also then can become a bottleneck. So if you load it to the to the model and then analyze the model for consistency, you're you're going to use a lot more resources than doing prechecks. But prechecks is probably a lot harder to code, I would guess. Yes. Some precepts are very simple and anything that has to do with concurrencies gets complicated very quickly. Mm. And we take a lot of that into in, into our internal transaction engine. Because holding consistency in the model, if you've got 10,000 devices in the network, you know, and, you know, 100,000 services sitting on top, maintaining consistency is actually a really hard thing to do. You, you know, I'm just guessing. The numbers are probably much worse than that, especially if you're trying to track observability, you know, flow management, customer services, QOE, a whole bunch of things, right? And that's not necessarily all of NSO's problem, but 
you know, that sort of stuff is in there. But it also means that you have to lock databases when you're going to go out and make a change or your model has to say, don't change here, we're doing something. The intent, or the intent engine is doing something. That is a real sign of, or could be the sign of a mature system. You're actually solving problems that aren't necessarily detectable when you start out. So if you're a startup, you might not know that this is a problem as you scale up. That's very true. And we, we do have a lot of customers that have a lot of interesting requirements. And interesting. Right, that uh, word's doing a lot of work. There, go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, it's a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> in the word. Interesting. Yeah. But, but it's interesting in a sense that some of it ends up being because of human limitations or process limitations. Yeah. One typical example is that if you know that only your management system is touching the network, then you don't need to check that much, right? You can kind of sort of trust that your config will be right. But if you have a lot of human changes for various reasons, then that means that when you go to the device and try to push your config, you will fail. The interface wasn't configured the way you thought it was, right? Yeah. But some human has been there and you need to do some kind of error handling, some reconciliation. And what, that, what we see in some customers is we get this vicious cycle. The network automation system fails because some human had touched the network and they say, oh, I don't trust the network automation system. It just fails. I'll do more manual changes. It yeah. just gets worse and worse day by day. So a lot of the extra work in large customers comes because we need to compensate for the processes until they're all automated. Well, you need a to allow that to happen. There's usually, yeah. there's usually a reason. It's not necessarily a good reason, but there's usually a reason, shall we say. And, you know, you might have a situation where a particular part of the organization refuses to use the automation for whatever reason. It could even be, you know, they don't want it or they're not allowed to because in that country that software is not, you know, there's all sorts of weird reasons why configurations happen manually going forward. So fitting that in or adopting that or living with it is actually an acknowledgement of reality no matter how much I hate it. Yeah, I mean, we have the capability within NSO. If you, you know, someone makes a change you know, in a, in a router, in a particular type of router, and it's the right thing to do. It can ingest that and make it part of the, hmm. you know, part of the actual device template. Yeah. But if you've got to go and read the router config, you know, or the device config, and then compare it for the model before you start, then you've actually got to re-update the state of the model, the de- delta, and then validate your intent against that. That's way harder than somebody who says, all changes come from my intent engine, and you're not allowed to change them. And if you are, we'll just override them and wipe them. That's a massively different problem in terms of, you know, the, the the software and what it's got to do. Yeah, I mean, you get into these multi-master kind of problems and it, it gets, mm. you know, even, even in theory, it gets complicated because you don't know who is authoritative or not in exchange yeah. without setting up some rule. And this is another reason why network automation POCs are so much easier than reality. Yeah. Because when you do a POC, when you prototype something, you're in the lab, and you can just tell people to not touch your lab equipment. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> yeah. Or you have a virtualized lab these yeah, days yeah, that's yeah. only yours, right? Yeah, so you that's trust right. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's greenfield. You don't care about the old service. You only care about the new stuff, right? Uh, right. right. But out in production, in a legacy teleco, you will have some service, there's some network in here manually provisioned for a friend back in 2005 and it's still running (laughs) that interface, you know, um, so you don't want to break. Yeah. Well, there's one customer who's still running something from 20 years ago and they're paying way over the odds for it. You don't want to 
contact them in case they might actually want to over, you know, renew it and do something differently and you lose that money. Either of those answers are viable. <laughs> but the last one at least sounded as you know you have that kind of customer, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> for somebody. Yeah. yeah. For the food, for the telecom yeah. anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that does uh, wrap up the time that we have. Uh, if folks are interested in diving more into NSO, uh, Omar, where should they go? Uh, they can go to cisco.com slash go slash NSO. They can download the software, get links to DevNet, as well as our YouTube channel where we have a bunch of sessions. Okay. That's cisco.com slash go slash NSO. We will also have other links in the show notes about uh, the YouTube and the DevNet stuff if you want to check that out. Uh, thank you, Omar. Thank you, Victor. And thank you, Nils Petter for joining us. And thanks to Cisco for being a sponsor. And thanks to you for being a listener. If you like this episode, you can find thousands more fine free technical podcasts on networking, cloud, IPv6, Kubernetes, and more along with our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. Okay, I'll turn down the recording.